Hi, welcome back to Real as Feedback. Each week we have unfiltered conversations about performance feedback in the workplace. And we're excited today. We have a great episode. We're going to share some practical tips on how to prevent bias, prejudice, and bullying from masquerading as feedback. I am Kieran Snyder, and I am here with Jackie Clayton, Kim Scott, Jackie with the amazing glasses we were just reflecting on. How are you doing today? Doing great. Just living the dream. <laughs> living the dream. Great. Well, before we introduce our guest today, who I'm super excited about, as usual, we want to talk about something that's been going on in the wider world. So I promise not all of my stories are basketball related, but this one, again, is basketball related. So Dwayne Wade, who played for many years with the Miami Heat in the NBA, like shout out to the NBA text deal partner. We love working with you. Uh, He brought uh, Miami three championship rings and pride of Miami, you might say. And he recently announced that he was going to be leaving Florida with his family because, and I'll quote, my family would not be accepted or feel comfortable there. So Dwayne Wade is father to four children. He also has custody of his nephew and his 15-year-old daughter came out as transgender in 2020. So if you follow the news, you probably know that not long ago, Florida passed the Don't Say Gay bill, uh, which targets the LGBTQ plus community in various ways. And this includes the way children show up in the state of Florida. Law bans people from using a bathroom other than the one for their sex assigned at birth. It also bans classroom instruction about sexual orientation and gender identity in all grades. So I want to start with, let's start with Jackie. What are your thoughts on Dwayne Wade's move? I was excited a little bit shocked just because like you said been in in florida for a really long time but because i haven't seen anybody make that move but so happy to see somebody of his stature and their family to do something like that to support their kids because all of us would do anything for our kids and that's the move because i know there's so many people like what can i do and then also we recognize it does take someone who has that level of privilege to be able to pack up and leave and not have that impact how can we support those that can't afford for their families to do that so i'm glad that he's making that move for his daughter and his family but then it's like we need to make sure people are still advocating for the people that are there that's what stood out yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm this is obviously a really timely topic because the state has passed legislation that is at odds with what a lot of us would say how you want things the world to show up for your children. I'm curious what this means for the workplace. So maybe Kim, I'd love your commentary here. So Sticky situation because not everybody can pack up and move. Not everybody has the means or resources or opportunity to do that. But you might be working in an environment where your identity, you know, we talk about subtle biases on this show sometimes. Yeah, this is not subtle. But like, this is not subtle. Like, this is not Textio is going to help you fix your biases. This is much more overt point of view. So, yeah. 
Any recommendation for people in the workplace who may be part of the LGBTQ plus community who are encountering this kind of tension between the prevailing political environment and their reality? Well, I think another thing that companies can do, companies who can, who can do this, should do this, can say that any employee who is affected by this kind of legislation can move and work remotely or can move and work in another office. I mean, that is one thing that could and I think should be done by, by any company that can afford to do that. Because the more that people with positions of power and privilege can extend themselves and their organizations to protect those without it, the better. I also think that it is so important that he said why he was moving. That for people, because it would have been easier, I'm sure, just to quietly move. And, uh, and so I admire the decision to say why uh, one's moving. And to, I think the thing that, one of the things that companies can do is to create a platform for people who do want to say why. And some companies could leave state. Like, it doesn't have to be only individuals. Whole companies can leave states as well. Not every company is in a position where they could do it, but I bet there are some who could. Yeah. Well, thank you both for diving into this. You know, we always try to have real and raw and sometimes difficult conversations in this podcast. And so this is real life and uh, we name it when we see it. Shifting gears, I am really excited to welcome Cynthia T to today's conversation. She is amazing. I have known Cynthia for many years. Uh, she's currently the SVP of engineering at Smartsheet, and she's been there for a couple of years now, leading the engineering team that builds customer-facing user experiences at Smartsheet. But she has done everything. She led engineering and product at Nordstrom. She had some time in the startup ecosystem at PlayFab. I met her at Microsoft, and she also ran Ada Developers Academy as their executive director for two years, which helps women get started in technical careers, women who are changing careers. Cynthia was also my mentor. This is how I first met Cynthia. When I first had my daughter, and I was heading back to work for maternity leave and my boss at the time connected me with Cynthia as somebody who would have a lot of wisdom to share and she did. And Cynthia, I'm so excited that you're here to join us today. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here and I love talking about these topics. So thank you. Well, good. Well, let's get real. So we always like to start with a story from our expert guest. And it can be a positive story or it can be a more challenging story. But I would love to ask you, Cynthia, if you have a piece of feedback that was very beneficial to you in your career or maybe an experience with biased feedback that was less helpful. Yeah. So I had a former manager, and this was when I was already at a VP level, who gave me some feedback in the process of giving me just some peer feedback. And the feedback was, pretty positive for the most part, but he was also getting feedback from VP peers who, or his peers actually, 
at the C-suite level who do not see me very often. And the only time they actually see me is at an all VP meeting uh, where several people are at. And he said that the feedback he got was, well, I only hear from her when we have DEI issues to discuss or about any DEI related issue. She's very vocal and engages a lot with that, but I don't see her engaging with other things. And I know she does a lot because she runs the engineering team, et cetera, but I don't, I would like to hear her more in that particular context. And somewhere in the conversation was a statement about me not smiling very much on those video, on a lot of those calls. And I remember when I got the feedback, of course, this trips all sorts of biases that some of us, many of us have encountered before. And I, I didn't really know whether to laugh or cry because it was a part of me that's like, really, even at this time, you're telling me this. And it was, a, I think, the whole point of his feedback. And he was just, just giving me very transparent feedback. I don't think he himself my manager at that time felt that way, but it was feedback from his peers that he was passing on. And he's like, look, I don't question that you're dedicated to the product. And I actually really appreciate that you value the DEI stuff and speak up there. And he says, I don't think there's any problem with your smiling, honestly. So anyway, that's the story of the feedback. And I think for me to have to figure out how to deal with that situation talk to my manager about it, make him an ally for what we could do, not only to address this feedback, but address who gave him that feedback was sort of a whole journey for a couple of weeks there. So, yeah. So Kim, your take. I am so sorry. It's awful. Kim, what would your recommendation be to Cynthia or her manager in this situation? Yeah, I'd love to start with Cynthia's manager because Cynthia's manager, one, like it is one of the most important jobs of a manager is to create an opportunity and a place, an environment in which everyone can do their best work. And part of that means addressing other people's biases, not asking the employee to tiptoe through the tulips of other people's biases, but to disrupt the bias, not to put the burden on you to disrupt the bias. Like that, the purpose, the, the old, well, power in general, I think, is a bad thing. But if you, if you want to create checks and balances and use it for good, one of the things you can do if you, have an, if you have some authority in a situation, if you are someone's manager, is to take the heat addressing that bias. Do not put that on the person who's already harmed by it. So you shouldn't have even had to hear about it, frankly. Your manager should have gone and dealt with the people who had the biases. That's my opinion. The thing that strikes me so much, Cynthia, the way you communicated it back to us here, the person who gave the feedback weirdly probably thought they were giving positive feedback. Yeah. Like I value her so much on this topic. Yes. It would be so great. Exactly. If we could hear her voice similarly on all topics. And so that person probably thought they were doing like a yes and yes kind of build. And so Jackie, as a DEI leader, I would love to hear how you have partnered with leaders where the bias they made they don't that that person had no idea their bias was coming out in the, in providing that feedback about Cynthia. They did not 
they didn't even think about it. And maybe, okay, Kim, Kim, challenge me. What do you, what do you think? <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to hear from Jackie first, but I'm, I've got some skepticism. Okay. Well, those things, one of the things that is so important when you're a DEIB leader, you don't want to go, I know what that is. I've heard what you just said. <laughs> like, but it's like one of the things that you do have to do, and we do empower people when you hear something or see something, say something, right? So it's like, uh, you would say, let me, I would love to talk about, talk to me about that more, right? Like, what does that mean? How is that showing up? Because like you said, we wanna make sure that we're really getting what's, what what they're real, what, if it's an issue, is there something that you're really trying to give me before I jump in? You have to, before you immediately jump in, try to have that conversation to give clarity of why maybe that's not a great approach or why that you're seeing this as a problem, why it's not a problem or why this is something, this is your issue, not anything to do with Cynthia. And I do agree with Kim, like I'm, I'm gonna wildly protect my team. And so I wouldn't have even brought that feedback back of course i would have been like sounds like a you problem but that's 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 now right i could say that in the moment of course like we're saying it's we're trying to create these spaces so that people feel safe but are able to do their best work and so this is going to cause a, a problem where there wasn't where there wasn't one and so it's just really important you have to call people out in a way that they are understanding like I heard what you said. Can we talk more about this to get into greater detail to see in the uh, rare, which it doesn't sound like, case that there's something else going on that we need to discuss. But you have to say something otherwise, especially if they think they're giving good feedback, then you can expect to see that show up again in other places. So when you see these things, you have to put the kibosh on it right away and be like, yeah, we need to talk, we need to have a, a conversation about that. I always admire your ability to stay focused on leading with curiosity when I want to be like, I know. <laughs> WTF, man. <laughs> um, so Cynthia, what was the impact on you? Like if you yeah. think about, you know, the, let's, let's, let's go for like the few weeks following and then let's talk about lasting. Did it change anything in your behavior, perceptions, actions, views? Like what was the impact? Yeah, well, first of all, I think my manager at the time was just just has a habit of being very, very transparent with me. So I actually get why you say that they, they shouldn't have actually told me about it at all. But he actually he actually told me about how he pushed back on that and said, like, no, this is really terrible feedback. <laughs> like, what are you really after? right? What are you really after in terms of that? Let's see how it affected me weeks following. I actually told him, you need to go back to your peers and say, this is totally not okay, because I'm not, I feel pretty confident about myself, my presence, and my ability to impact at that particular level. Now I'm worried about what they're going to say about the other women in their organization. Like, this is very worrisome. I mean, me, a lot more senior, a lot more privileged, can work through this. What about all the other women that work under this person? Now, now I'm really worried. And so 
my, you know, I told him my ask of you is to just, you really need to confront this. You're at that table and I'm not right. I mean, I'm happy to go to them too. If you want me to, I'm perfectly happy to do that, but your job. Right. So we had that conversation, which was, which was really good and which I think he totally heard and totally tackled how it affected me. I will not back down from speaking about inclusion or DEI issues that I feel need to be spoken for, right? I just won't. And so I I didn't come away from that feeling like, oh, you have to dial back. I'm also a strong believer that however I support my team, that work speaks for itself. And I took it as an opportunity to say, hey, can can I speak more about their achievements? I don't have to do it at this particular meeting, but can I just give them more credit in a more vocal way? To be honest, I think a few weeks later, I was just like, you know what? Just screw this. Like, I, I'm confident that I am a, at a VP at that time of way more than just my DEI. Like, you didn't hire me just for my DEI skills. You valued it. You felt it was a strong aspect of my leadership. But I'm not going to question my ability to deliver as an engineering leader at the time. And it was, I, I pretty much heard it, processed it, gave my feedback in. It was a reminder to me that there's still biases at these levels. But I was just like, no, like I feel pretty good about the way I lead and drive my team towards deliverables. I'm not going to change anything really. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, hats off. And I think you're really right to name the fact that your experience seniority just you've been around the block a lot of times helped create that for you. Whereas somebody at an earlier stage of their career, the potential for damage is much greater Yeah, because they may not have the confident platform to stand on. One of the things that struck me most in your story is so like Cynthia, I come from a product and engineering background like Cynthia. I've been pretty outspoken on DEI issues and I, have observed over the last, I don't know, 10 to 12 years that I've really been writing about this a lot in public. I talk about a lot of things in public. I don't just talk about DEI issues. I talk about feedback at work. I talk about technology. I talk about AI. I talk about parenting. I talk about a lot of things. This is the channel people expect me to communicate on. And for a while, I felt like it was almost like gum stuck to the bottom of my shoe. Like people could only hear me when I was speaking about DEI issues. And the reality is, although I'm very passionate and I speak about it, it's 12% of what I speak about in public. Yeah. But it's the one people want to hear. And I think this is really common for anybody who's underrepresented in the technology industry. You can say one thing and people interpret it like you're shouting with a megaphone because it's so uncomfortable for them to hear. And it's easy to disregard the fuller spectrum of topics that anybody underrepresented might communicate about in technology if DEI is even a part of it. And I have met women, I have met black engineers, I have met Hispanic engineers who tread really cautiously in speaking in public on these topics because they don't want to get sidelined into yes you only talk about DEI issues, even though for none of them is it the case that they only talk about DEI issues. And it creates this really weird, like, I expect this is all you can talk about dynamic, which doesn't serve the industry at all. 
And I don't know, Cynthia, if that resonates for you, because you have a similar background to me professionally. Yeah. And I am curious what you've observed. I observe this a lot. I observe this a lot. I, I, like you, when I've spoken on these topics, have a lot of people that come up to me and say, like, I really resonate with this, right? So I don't want to quiet that down, right? And I, I recognize I have a lot of privilege myself and in my seniority position where if I can leave that room or inspire somebody, like my managers, my line managers are very important people in a lot of employees' experiences. So if I take more time to talk about this, to inspire them to be a little more thoughtful about what they do, great. I'm not going to back down from that, right? So I, yeah, to a certain extent, I've just stopped worrying about the percentages. I feel like I do this. It's, it's not a separate part of my job. It is me. It's how I think. It's how I make decisions. And it's just, it's just who I am. So, I mean, yes, it's part of how I deliver. It's part of how I consider promotion decisions. It's part of how I consider hiring decisions. It's part of how I recruit people to the company. It's part of what I sponsor. So it's just kind of like, it's not a separate thing for me anymore. I love that. I mean, my advice to the listeners is to be like Cynthia. I have a story where I was not like Cynthia. I did not handle it as well. But also my boss wasn't as good as Cynthia's. You want to hear it? Always. You want me to lay it on you? Okay. Always. Okay. So I was working at a company and I had joined in a sales role. And the first thing that happened was that I bumped into one of my employees in the bathroom and she was crying. And when I asked questions, I found out the reason she was crying was that she had just found out that her project had been canceled. And the way she found out was that a guy who was her peer had learned before she had learned because he was at the strip club with one of the founders of the company. And so I really, yes, I did not feel I had any, anything I could do other than raise this. So I raised this to this founder. And uh, to his credit, he was embarrassed and he apologized to everyone. And so I was thinking, uh, I was thinking, okay, well, that was bad. But like, <laughs> given how bad it was, he responded as well as he possibly could have. And then fast forward, another another woman was raped in the office, and whiskey event in the office. And again, I felt that I had to raise various problems and there were a bunch of problems with the way it was it was handled uh, not only with the fact that it happened but it was made worse as she was re-traumatized uh, by the way it was handled and I, I made some noise not as much noise frankly in retrospect as I should and my boss pulled me aside and said Kim you're raising women's issues all the time <laughs> I was like oh my god I am not raising issues. I am responding to egregiously bad behavior. You're responding to crime. Like, it, yes, to crime. Yeah. So that was the reason why I responded the way I did to, to your boss's feedback, was that I was like, I was, I, I was just, I was gobsmacked. Wow. Yeah. I want to throw up, number one, yeah. Number two, how do we always come up with new stories? Like, how do we have all these stories? It's like, what the what? It's like, are you for real? Yeah. 
and it just goes back to the way you were seeing that used to happen. We used to hear about that a lot about strip clubs and the steak lunches and the you weren't invited and all these things were decided without you while you weren't in the room of that culture. And that is so like, and the fact that they're like, oh, you're bringing up women's issues. You're bringing up women's issues. It's, it is, it is really, well, I mean, as I told you, when I started to write Just Work, I thought, oh, I'll have to interview other people. Not that much stuff has happened to me. <laughs> I started thinking about it. I'm like, nope. Oh my goodness. I have plenty of stories all just on my own. Well, we tend to normalize yes. this stuff when we experience it a lot. And so I know that over the last several years, as I've gotten more serious about feedback at work and understanding bias at work, it's caused me to recontextualize a lot of things that I had experienced previously and normalized because it was like the water you're swimming in. It wasn't just like an, an isolated island here and there. And so I think the more we tell these stories, the better we get at identifying the toxic or traumatizing patterns. And by the way, if you have a feedback story you want to share, please drop us a note at mystory@realasfeedback.com. We will not disclose any of your identifying information. So please, we would love for you to get real with us. And with that, I have a story or I guess maybe a set of observations. And I'm going to share the beginning and then I would love Jackie for you to give us your first read on the situation. So this actually came from something the person posted on LinkedIn. And the person says there is a fine art to understanding what assertiveness means. If we are too nice, we are seen as weak or fragile. This post is written by a woman. If we are too aggressive, we are judged as acting like men or typical bitches, B word. A few years ago, during my yearly review, my manager shared with me this following oral assessment. I was being too direct and defensive. Not uncommon, probably a lot of women listening uh, can relate to having heard this feedback. But the thing that really struck this person as they're sharing their story, we engaged the discussion about assertiveness. His statement was that if I am quote unquote diplomatically assertive, I'm much more likely to get what I want. So Jackie, I would love your take on diplomatically assertive, much more likely to get what you want. Yeah. Any observations? Well, the first thing that I'd say, no, actually I, I won't get what I want because I want respect for the work that I do. And I don't think that's gonna come from you, right? It's like, actually no. Or it's like, this is fun. Tell me what I'm thinking now, nice manager as you're guessing what you decided that this is what I want and it there is a fine line and I think especially as a black woman I've heard these things where it's like oh you're you're being too assertive or you're being too aggressive or you're you know loud or all of all of these things that have come through the years and it, it's like you at some point as you work through you have to be true you have to be yourself Right. There's been this campaign over the years of bringing your your whole self to work. It's like I'm not being aggressive. I'm not yelling. I'm telling you, you know, what I've seen and I need you to know, like. And again, I, I do kind of over I am overly diplomatic. Right. 
it's part of, of the nature of the work that I do. Cause I, if I went with my knee jerk reaction every single time, I wouldn't get very far. You know, it's, if we're being inclusive, inclusionary. We want to listen and learn about people, but you have to, what's difficult is they told you the answers to the test of how this is going to look. Maybe. I know those were a lot of words, but that's why it's like, I, it's all good. You feel bad because you know, it's not going to go well. It's just not going to go well. Kim, what's your take? Diplomatically assertive. You're more likely to get what you want if you're diplomatically assertive. I don't think it's true. I mean, I think what the, uh, m my read of what this person is being told is stop trying to get what you want. And, and so and may, maybe that's wrong. I mean, I, maybe I'm incorrect, but I, I would want to ask some questions saying, what does diplomacy look like from your perspective? What am I doing that's undiplomatic? And if my colleague John did exactly the same thing, would you consider him undiplomatic? And because I think, I think that as you were reading it, the thing that kept occurring to me is that I do tell my son, my white son, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Like, should I not tell him that? Like, what? <laughs> I don't know. There's, and, and that's the problem. That's why this feedback can, there's so much gaslighting involved with this kind of feedback is because there, there can be a kernel of truth to, but to me, when you tell someone to be diplomatic, you're telling them to be manipulatively insincere. And I think that's the worst of all possible things to be. So you can show you care a little more, but you've still got to be candid. And that's what you are, Jackie. I mean, you, you take the time to say exactly what you think, but also to consider the imp how it'll land for the other person so that they can best hear it. But that's very different from being diplomatic, I think. I don't know. What do you all think? I don't hear diplomatic as a negative. I don't. I don't. I don't. The way you said, Kim, I, I'm manipulatively insincere. I don't hear it that way. There is a little bit of considering how the other person is likely to react that we all probably do in the workplace. Cynthia, I actually think of you as incredibly expert and adept at giving observations very assertively and very clearly without a lot of, there's just not a lot of baggage around the way you provide feedback, the way you see it. You're very clear. You're very direct. And I believe your reputation when I worked with you was as somebody who was incredibly diplomatically adept. You were so well received around the organization. People took your words with incredible gravity. And so I, I do think there's a, there's a truth to maybe more flies with honey but I also think women are much more likely to be told to do this than men. Yes. And the behaviors that for men would not be considered objectionable, women would be told, dial it back, be a little more diplomatic. So I, I think it ends up being pretty gendered. I don't know, Cynthia, what's your take? Yeah, I think that's true. I, these words are very triggering, assertive, aggressive, emotional. I think people who are giving feedback need to understand there is a lot behind those words. If you're going to tell somebody that, especially a woman, there's, there's probably going to be a certain interpretation there that you may not have intended, right? So I always like to 
advise to managers that want to, and, and maybe there is a case where they actually have presented something in a certain way that didn't land for whatever reason that, that merits some good advice. These are the most complicated situations. I like to get very situational with folks. And I also like to encourage, you know, there's this balance of telling and listening that everybody needs to have, right? Including to the person themselves, but also to whoever they're talking to, right? And so I, I think in a lot of these situations there, I find just as much feedback that has to be given to the person who actually <laughs> said that somebody was too aggressive or too assertive as much as you're actually trying to coach, right? And I think if people see themselves as a, a coach to somebody else, like using the combination diplomatically aggressive, I think you'll, it is just really mystifying. It's, it's not very actionable. Yes, that's a little. Right? No. Yeah. I think, I think that's, and uh, Jackie, you told me a story. So if, if y'all don't know Jackie in real life, Jackie is hilarious. Like she is hilarious. She is a very, every time I meet with Jackie, we have a great time. I think we have a great time. Jackie may not, but I, we, I think Jackie's hilarious. But you told us a story. You told me a story of somebody that you knew in your past where even when you were trying to give feedback, like, dude, you were an asshole. He thought you were kidding. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, and I think when women, especially women of color, get feedback about how they give feedback, there's a tendency for those on the receiving end of the feedback to disregard it, talk about the tone in which it is given as as the primary thing. And this was, you know, I, as you told me the story, this is a case where you're like, no, really, you're you're an asshole. And he's like, ha ha ha. And you're like, not ha ha ha. Yeah. And he he needed to hear it as non-judgmental of his actual behavior. And I think that is a dynamic I was thinking about when reading this story, which is who is the feedback for? Is it for the person who's hearing the feedback to become more effective or is it to protect the ego of the person that they're interacting with? So. Well, it's something that I think. Yes. I have experienced in my life and within my family. It's always like, when you hear somebody like when they're trying to give you feedback, there's something of like within your, it's not feedback at your house. Like I'm getting direction or my parents are trying to raise me. There's a point where it's like, you needed to know the difference, especially as a black kid. I needed to know when this is something that was optional of importance, right? Like people will say, oh, you're yelling. Nope, that's not yelling. Like this is a directive versus yelling because I'm terrified or I don't want you to be in trouble or I see something as a warning. And so it's one of those things where it's difficult if I think, for example, I've worked at a lot of startups and if I think this is gonna take us all in a bad direction, I'm gonna be more aggressive because I'm serious about it. Like this is gonna be painful. And so, and there's other cultures where that's not the thing where you are like, going across the street, if I think that you're going to get hit by a car, I'm going to scream. I'm going to do everything that, that I can to make sure that you know that that's what the situation is. And there are situations, I think, for Black women especially, where it's like going into this moment is dangerous. Going into this moment like this is scary. 
I need to make sure you hear exactly what I say. And you can tell by my tone how serious this is, whether you're going to get grounded or this is something that can really harm you. And that's something that I've noticed through the years, especially those of us with a certain age as adults, right? It's it's one thing to say, oh, I don't think you should get an Uber. And it's another thing to say, get your ass home. I swear to God, you've got five minutes. It's like, oh, right? Now it's like, oh, but I'm not angry. Other people would hear that and say, I'm angry. But it's like, no, this is so serious. I need you to hear that. And so I think that's where this translation is. For me, that's what I've observed as I think back to like, things that I noticed from my own family. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's such a great like line to put your finger on the line between I'm giving feedback and like, no, I'm being direct because this is actually really critical (laughs) and it's not about your ego right now. I'm actually, I need to be, to be clear with you. And I, I think. Especially if you're not getting heard, that's the biggest thing. I don't, I already know that you're not going to listen to me. Right. Like I've already said it in the same way that everybody else does. And nobody listened to me. So now I'm going to make sure that you're listening to me. And then people are like, oh, so I just think that's something that you see. I've seen in the past. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for uh, for adding that into the discussion. And again, if you have a story, please send it in to my story at realizefeedback.com. And as a reminder, they don't only have to be terrible stories. We love stories where people experience transformative feedback that really helps them develop and grow. Uh, the, you know, the more we talk about this, the better opportunity we have to see change. So Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us today. Really always a joy to connect with you and really appreciate you sharing your story today. And Kim and Jackie, thank you both as well. And until next time, I am signing off. Thank you. Thank you.